It's weird not having anyone to yell at. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Hired.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. This week's episode of The Freelancer Show is brought to you by Earth Class Mail. Earth Class Mail moves your stale mail into the cloud, giving you instant access 24-7 and integrates with the tools and services you use every day. It's crazy that we've moved everything we do for the business over to the digital world, but still need to pick up, sort, and manage physical mail. With Earth Class Mail, you can get all of your mail scanned and accessible online 24-7. You can search your mail, send invoices over to your accounting software, sync important documents into cloud storage, deposit checks, and really just make running your business a whole lot easier. You also get real professional address to share publicly with customers, business partners, and investors. And you'll never need to worry about someone showing up at your door if, if you run your business from home. Now, I've checked out Earth Class Mail, and I think it's a brilliant solution that's perfect for businesses and independent entrepreneurs of all types. Visit freelancershow.com slash mail, and you'll get your first month of service free when you sign up. That's freelancershow.com slash mail. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 216 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Philip Morgan. Hello, hello. Reuben Lerner. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about automation. So the rest of this episode will be completely automated. <laughs> We're just uh, going to ra- randomly yeah. cut and splice stuff from previous episodes. There we go. <laughs> yeah, you get me saying enough words, and then you just, yeah. <laughs> I am such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard of machine learning. This is machine podcasting. That's right. So this is something that I brought up because it's something that I've been doing a lot of lately is just working on automating a lot of things that I'm doing. It's interesting. I want to kind of start with why, because both of you sounded interested in discussing the topic, and I'm curious what idea you have of automation and what it'll get you before we get into some of the things that at least I'm doing. I find automation uh, incredibly sexy and easy to misapply, at least in my own business, or prematurely apply it's sort of related to the idea of like premature optimization so like i I actually am both in favor and against uh automation and and other forms of optimization just depending on the context i'll be glad to elaborate on that but at least for me there's been a sort of life cycle of initial enthusiasm about the idea of let's automate this and let's automate this and you know, when I say this, it could be anything. It could be marketing. It could be, uh, you know, client onboarding. It could be any number of things. And then there's a sort of like actually doing it, doing the automation. And then there's a kind of assessment of whether it was worth it. And I find that not every time it was it worth it. Not every time did it deliver an improvement. And so I guess that's kind of where I'm coming from with respect to automation. So for me, I mean, I have some automation set up in the sense of I have email courses And I'm really happy with that. And like when someone buys my books, so I'm really happy with that. But I know that I'm just scratching the very, very, very tip of the the iceberg, scratching the surface there that I could be doing more and could be doing it better and could be, well, I mean, you know, automating things. I could basically be having my business run itself and not have me need to deal with it all the time for some of the more mundane tasks. 
And yet it's not always obvious to me how to choose what to do. It's not at all, I should say it's not always, it's, it's not at all obvious to me how to choose what to automate, how to automate it, and what things maybe don't deserve to be automated. That's interesting. Okay. It was interesting. One thing that got me started on this was I listened to an episode of The Eventual Millionaire by Jamie Tardy, and she had Rory Vaden on, and he has the book Procrastinate on Purpose. And in the book, which I read for part of my mastermind group, he talks a lot about the process of automating stuff. But the first thing to do is not automate. The first thing to do is actually to eliminate, which is kind of interesting. You know, what, oh. can, I, what can I stop doing that I am doing that I shouldn't be doing? And that's very educational for me. But then once I, you know, started looking at, okay, if I can't eliminate it, then yeah, what can I automate? What should I be looking at making, you know, more automatic, more, I don't know what the right word is, but just, you know, make it so that I don't have to think about it and it just happens. I work with a lot of uh, sort of new business owners. People are trying to move out of, they're sort of trying to level up, right? That's part of what makes people interested in the idea of positioning and narrowing down and uh -huh. and uh, also work with a lot of people who have ridden the wave of referrals and good luck and they sort of see the end of that phase of their business and they're ready to actually start marketing for real. And through that, I've sort of developed a philosophy that you should not automate something that you could learn more from or to put it another way, something where you're still kind of in that the steep part of the learning curve and it hasn't really tapered off, that's not a candidate in your business for automation. So great example is you'll see a lot of blog posts that talk about like automating client onboarding or automating qualifying leads, that kind of thing. And as a, like a new business owner, that sounds so sexy. <laughs> I think it's be, what's sexy about it is the idea of having like an, so many leads coming in that you have to automate it, right? But we kind of get caught up in the idea or wrapped up in this idea that, yes, I need to automate that. And that, that was something, at least for me, that was very appealing. And I think you miss opportunities to learn what your market is really like and what your clients really need when you automate away things like conversations. So... You know, Chuck, you were like, what do you automate? What, what don't you automate? And I, and I think I would at least throw out there that if there's something that you could learn that has real value for your business, don't automate it. And I think that's also why that there's this kind of common advice in the startup world to do things that don't scale. I think it's the same kind of idea that by doing those things manually, you will learn something that you would miss out on if you automated it. I think that's interesting that you went to that first because that is one of the things that I'm working on automating right now, not client onboarding, but podcast guest onboarding. Right. And mm -hmm. it's interesting. And I actually had a conversation with Mandy and, you know, we, we discussed the pros and cons of automating it versus having her do it or having a person do it. And there are definite upsides and downsides. And it wasn't 100%, you know, there's no value in having a person do it. And there, it wasn't 100%, let's not automate this and, you know, save some effort on some of the more repeatable parts of it either. And so it was, it was really interesting to kind of come into the middle of that where it's, yes, it, it helps the, the guest feel like there's somebody there that they can reach out to, you know, and is there a way that we can automate it that gets people some of that? as well as how much value is there in having somebody get in and hold somebody's hand and work through getting them on board and on and on and on. And how much of that can you really 
actually automate, where you send them all the information they need, start the conversation online, you know, maybe take a few more steps in it and have all of that completely automated and then set them up with the conversation if it needs to happen. Right. And this is something I believe that changes as a business matures. You know, as a business matures, maybe they do have that tidal wave of leads coming in or in this case, you know, tidal wave of podcast guests. And it just makes sense to automate it because that's no longer a high value activity that you're learning a lot from. Right. So all I'm, all I'm really arguing against is premature uh, automation. But I think that's one way to sort of decide whether you're ready yet is, are you still learning really valuable stuff from doing this process manually? If not, then it's probably time to think about automating it. And it sounds like, like that's kind of where you're at with the podcast guest onboarding. Yeah, that's basically where I've come down is, yeah. I mean, most of the conversation will either happen on the show or the conversation will happen because they have a question about something and it makes it very clear or the automation makes it feel like there's a person on the other end that you just hit reply in the email and then you, it's like, okay, so I need to do this and not that. But yeah, for the most part, podcast guest onboarding is... I mean, we've got it down to a science now. And so right. 90%, 99% of the people coming in, they're just going to do what we tell them, and it's all going to work. It's very easy, though, if you kind of roll back, though, to you launched a podcast a month ago, and you're onboarding a bunch of guests. Right. It's very easy to sort of imagine in your head how that process you think should go, and then design an automated system around that, and then find that that's not a good fit for how the process actually should go. And that's really the value of doing it manually is that you learn at the ground level how things really work. Philip, it's interesting you say this. I mean, uh, I guess it's a little meta, but I know that when uh, uh, Rob Walling was setting up Drip, I remember listening to the podcast for Start for the Rest of Us, and I think I think it was on Drip that he said they did not automate credit cards right away. Like they wanted to know who was going to pay what and how much. And so they did it manually also because you, you need to choose what you're going to work on first. And yeah. they decided, actually, we can just call people and deal with it or I think do it through PayPal. And only a little down the road did they actually automate the uh, the credit card usage. And I thought that was yeah. actually very clever in part because it forces you to talk to your clients exactly what you're saying, find out what they're doing, how they're doing, and then make the system appropriate for them. Yeah, yeah I it just I have this. I mean, I know we're sort of talking about two different things here one like client work and then the other more of a business process that's kind of an internal process but in general i think that in those early stages you just can't talk to your clients too much and and automation can really sort of be an excuse to not talk to your clients you think you're doing it to make your business better but in reality i wonder if if it doesn't harm a business to misapply automation well i know it does bill gates said it does (laughs) Bill Gates said you automate uh, an, a, you know, I forget the exact wording, uh, but automation applied to a efficient business process makes it better and automation applied to like an ineffective business process actually makes it worse. So the idea has been around That's for a good. while. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, I can see if you have like a set of ways that you operate or something like that, then I could see, for example, that you, you do a call, you finalize the sale you have a discussion about how the contract's going to work and then you automate certain things to go out to them, right? Where you've had the conversation and just by way of a reminder, these are the things we discussed today and it's 
hey, look, this is how the contract works. And this is, you know, and so there are things that you've already had the conversation about, but then, you know, it's, it's a reminder, it's a follow up, you know, it's some of these other things that can actually enhance the conversation instead of hurt the conversation. And so I can also see the, a partial automation of the parts that, you know, make the conversation richer, better, or more, you know, sink in better, you know, may pay off. And in other cases, maybe you have to have the conversation three times in order for it to really work out. I don't know. That's a good point. I, I think the first step towards automation is is templates. Yes. You know, like that's the first step from completely manual, custom every time, to getting closer to having some of the efficiencies of automation. I'll, so I'll what, read what do you mean by templates, brother? Do you mean like email templates or just sort of like a, a standardized plan of action that you use whenever you have a new client? Well, I think the, process. Right. Yeah. I would call the second one a process. Um, but like, yeah, just templates like back to Chuck's example, a template for here's what you need to know before you're a guest on the freelancer show mm-hmm. or, or the client services example. You know, here's here's a template that describes how we do our weekly meeting or our daily stand up or whatever, like stuff like that. And I think that happens naturally. I'm just kind of calling it out that. That's probably the first baby step towards automation. The other thing that I see is that if you're talking about a process, it's like, what are the things that we do every time? So, for example, onboarding podcast guests, we get them on the calendar and we email them a certain amount of time before the show. And we and we email them with all of the co-hosts so that we can have a conversation about what we're going to talk about and they can give us materials to review and things like that. And so. Since these are all things that have to happen, you know, we give them information to connect with me on Skype since I'm usually the one that brings them into the channel. You know, all of those things are kind of a standard set of instructions that all of them are going to have to have. And, you know, automating that to the next level where we maybe send them to Calendly or we send them to a form where they can give us more information about themselves or we go look them up on LinkedIn or have them send us a link to LinkedIn or, you know, whatever it is that we do during the process, we can automate a lot of that where it's, oh, hey, you know, looks like we got you scheduled on the calendar. Here's the next step. Give us your profile or here's the next step. Give us information about what we're talking about. So if you have that step-by-step process to work through, then you can start looking at those things and saying, okay, well, that step is easily automatable and it simplifies this process. So we're only communicating about the things that we have to communicate about instead of discussing calendars and discussing this and discussing that and discussing the other thing. And then I like to include some way of reaching out out of band. So for example, we usually record this show on Tuesdays at 1130 a.m. Mountain Time. And so, you know, if that doesn't work for somebody, they have something going on every Tuesday at that time, then, you know, the Calendly system actually says, you know, pick the date that'll work for you. And then if none of these dates work for you, then email Chuck at devchat.tv and we'll figure something out. And so it gives people that way around if they need it. Yeah. But for most people, I mean, why wrangle over calendar dates? You know, just use Calendly. And then we can talk about what the show's about and have that conversation and make sure that we're focused on putting on a great show instead of when it is. So, I I mean, just in in hearing what you're saying, I think part of my problem in trying to figure out what to automate is that I have so few standardized processes in my work, right? Like, I mean, with, with the training work, which is the majority of it, it's, I mean, I guess it's standardized in the fact that I send an email to like clients call me, I say, Oh, sure, let's do it. And we put it on the calendar and we're basically done. Or I email, in the cases of some big companies, I email them a proposal and they say, okay, it's done. And I don't see how I could automate that. 
But with a, although I'm, I'm thinking maybe students who participate in the class, I could automate how I deal with them instead of manually having to find and remember their email messages and, and so forth at a specific date before the course starts. But in my consulting work, I mean, I have no standardized process other than talk to them on the phone. And maybe that's the first thing I need to do, really figure out how do I want to work with people? Because I'm seeing more and more as my time is pressed and rare, and, and I'm, so I'm sort of forcing clients to talk to me in certain ways at certain times. They're okay with that. Like if I say, I can meet with you on the following days at the following times, they're okay with that. So having some sort of automated process actually would be a good thing to do. Or having a process would be good, and then automating it would be even better. Yeah, one other thing to keep in mind is if there is a conversation or a task or, you know, something that you do for every client or every project. And the way to think about this is, let's say that it takes you five minutes every day. Well, five minutes every workday, let's say you work uh, five days a week and you work 50 weeks a year. So that's, I think it's like 525 minutes or something over the course of the year. If you can set up an automation system and you spend, I don't know, two or three hours so that's 180 hours or 180 minutes setting something up that saves you 525 over the course of a year, then it makes sense to do that. And so if there's some kind of automation where you can set up a continuous integration or you can automate meeting schedules every week or you know anything that you spend time communicating about over and over and over again or any processes or explanations that you have to put together where you can put it up on a page on your website and then refer them to that and say a lot of people ask me about this here's the answer or things like that you immediately start to gain some of that time back because you spend a half hour writing it and it saves you 5 minutes a day or you know, 20 minutes a week writing that email every week or something. And the multiplication of that time really adds up. Chuck, you just like, I, I think that was an extremely insightful, useful comment. Because as you're saying, I'm thinking, okay, what is something that I spend five minutes on, 10 minutes on, 20 minutes on every day, week or month? And I start thinking about all the stuff that all the stuff I have to put together for reports for my accountant, for instance. And all the services I use, for instance, PayPal, like if I get payments on PayPal, I well, I do get payments on PayPal, so I need to go to the PayPal website, download the latest report and everything. I can write a, I have actually some programming abilities. I could write a program to use, I'm sure PayPal is an API, download that and email them automatically. That would be really easy to do, and it would save me probably a good 10, 15 minutes a month, and that works out to like an hour a year or more. Well, the other end of automation is delegation, and the thing is, is Let's say that it takes you two, it would take you two hours or three hours to write that program. And you can pay somebody five bucks an hour to go do that for you once a month. Right. And it takes them five minutes. So what you're paying then is you're paying them 25 cents or 50 cents a shot to go in and do that. Now, multiplying that out against your time, it's actually way more effective to just pay somebody to go through the process of pulling it out and emailing it to your accountant. And so automation doesn't actually have to be programmed or Zapier or some other system that automatically does the work for you. Sometimes it's just making sure that somebody understands how to do it and then getting it off your plate. Right, right, very true. I'm just now warming up to the idea of of that. Uh, like, you know, I've, I've hired people before for various tasks and sort of lower value assistant level stuff. And it was fine. I just, I don't love managing people, but I have now actually started to put together a text file in, uh, 
probably my most used piece of software in Vault to like start to kind of identify things that when I do them, I, I have some awareness of like, well, I don't need to do this. I'm not adding any unique value by doing this. I'm just kind of doing a thing that needs to be done. And I'm starting to kind of build that list. Maybe it'll be six months or more before I actually do anything with that. But that's kind of part of getting ready for that. Cause I know that if I was to have somebody, you know, work for me as an assistant in any capacity, what I would do if I didn't plan for it is the wrong thing. I would just start delegating stuff that is kind of top of mind rather than is a really well thought out way to somehow make things better. I'm also yeah. Chuck, Chuck reading that book, uh, Procrastinate on Purpose. I'm, I'm just about to the point in the book where I, I think I'm about to get the punchline about what this whole idea of multiplication is. So thanks for that recommendation. Yeah, and I didn't really explain anything that he doesn't go into in the book. And I mean, that's the really fascinating thing is it's like you think about it and it's like, well, it only takes me five minutes to do it. But five minutes and five minutes and five minutes and five minutes and five minutes over the course of however many days that is really adds up. And the thing that really got me to get behind this wasn't just, oh, well, I could save all this time and then I could do all these other things. But it was, why am I doing this? So you couple this with uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek and you start going, okay, so what kind of difference can I make? Who can I reach? Who can I touch? And yeah, it, that's the unique value that you have is the parts that are uniquely me and those things that are important to me in the way that I interact with and impact other people. And by doing this kind of multiplication, I can get that much more done for the people that I'm trying to serve. It's, it's not just, oh, well, I, I like more time to go play Pokemon Go. It's, I would really like to spend more time with my kids and have an impact on them. Or I could put together another email course that helps people with a particular problem in programming or careers. And that's where the money is for me. That's where the payoff is, is, oh, I can make a difference for these people that I have chosen to serve. You know, I, I just want to tag on to what you said because I'm not disagreeing at all. But you kind of were like, not more time to play Pokemon Go. But I'm starting to realize, <laughs> and I'll give a short story that explains why, but I, I think I undervalue or have sort of historically undervalued uh, sort of R&R. &R, and I'm starting to see that kind of fraying around the edges that happens when you do that. So it probably would be good for me to play a little more Pokemon Go. Got to catch them all. I very frequently will record something for a client or uh, for a mentoring student. And sometimes I'll listen back to those things where it's like my recorded voice. Maybe I do a screencast to kind of explain something. And so like there's been a couple times where I just listen back and sort of detach myself a little bit from it. And I'm like, wow, that dude sounds exhausted. And I'm like, oh, well, that dude's me. <laughs> I think I think something needs to change. And I'm starting to look at, you know, doing less and delegating more as a way to facilitate that. So it is fascinating that you say that because, yeah. I mean, I know I need to sleep more. And today, just literally today. So I told you guys before we start recording that my, my kids were all the way this week at a scouts camp. And so for the first time in a long time, I, there are no kids around. So like. I can actually do some work and then go to sleep at a more normal hour. And so I think this is the first week in a long time I've gotten six, eight hours of sleep a night for several days at a stretch. And my sister called me uh, earlier today. She said, what's going on? You sound so well rested. <laughs> <laughs> and like, 
I hadn't told her what was going on. And, and so clearly, while I don't perceive it, others, especially others who know me well, do. Well, and, 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 Reuven, I, I'm sorry to, sorry to jump in here. I'm starting to think of that ability to be well-rested and sharp, at least for my own business, as a competitive advantage totally. that, that I feel like I'm missing out on because I'm kind of running myself too hard. Yeah, one thing that I'll put in is, if as you read the book, he starts out with eliminate and then automate and then delegate and then it's procrastinate and it's what do I, you know, so it's something on your list, but it doesn't have to be done now. If I don't start it now, is it going to blow up my life or my business? And if the answer is no, then put it off. And yeah, so maybe the most important thing you can do for your business is rest. Maybe the most important thing you can do for your business is think deeply about where you want it to go. Maybe the most important thing you can do for your business is consider how it impacts the other areas of your life that you care about so that you are getting everything you want out of it so that you can continue to do what you do. It yeah. just, you know, well so, it's, so it's, it's not just, I think it takes a holistic view, you know, and it's, it's life in general as well. So yeah. If I don't spend time with my son now, then, you know, is he going to wind up being, I mean, you know, it's kind of an extreme example, but is he going to wind up being a criminal because he didn't have a role model because I was stuck in here podcasting? And so I can prioritize that. I can say, okay, well, now this is the most important thing that I can do. And it's building a relationship with my son so that I feel good about life. So when I come back up here tomorrow, things are good. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So, yeah, I mean, it, it really just comes down to this. and just working through this and figuring out, okay, what is the number one most important thing? And if it's something that you don't personally have to be involved in, then maybe the number one most important thing is making sure you're not involved with it going forward. And then the number one important, most important thing related to that a few weeks from now is checking in to make sure that the system's working or finding a way to improve that. But for right now, getting it off your plate and making time for marketing or making time for family or making time for, you know, whatever sleep is the next most important thing you can do. Very true. There's another, I, I feel like there's an opportunity for us to dive deeper into like where the big wins might be with auto, with automation. I feel like before we get there though, I'm still on this uh, contrarian kind of track. I think it's easy to make false improvements with automation. Oh, so that's totally fair. It's like, easy to kind of say, okay, I, my inbox is just killing me. It's so cluttered. I'm going to take the, this, you know, like notification and I'm going to pipe it over to Slack instead of email. And <laughs> to me, all you've done is just kind of taken the pile of sand and move, you know, split it in two pieces and, but you still have to like kind of pay attention to that piece that you split off and moved into Slack. So I just, I noticed that at least in my own life that it's technology makes it very easy to say, oh, this is going to make things so easier. But all you've really done is kind of, you know, created another, another little pile of uh, distraction and uh, siloed it into something else. And now you're, you know, context switching and not really gaining any benefit in terms of, uh, you know, the things we're trying to actually accomplish here. So I'm curious if anybody else sees that. And um, but that that's really I don't know. And not a big deal. Just something I wanted to mention. That's fair. I mean, you're, you're not changing the amount of work that you're doing in the case that you're talking about. So the multiplication effect on your time doesn't occur. And, and I guess that's really the point here is like, how, how can we use automation to create some kind of significant benefit? Well, I think you do have to do that return on investment analysis. Mm -hmm. 
you have to look at it and say, okay, what is the payoff on this? What is the time savings or energy savings or whatever it is that you're measuring? What is the payoff on this? I mean, it's an investment, right? It's, it's like anything else that you're investing in, you know, taking the time to automate stuff or delegate stuff or train somebody. It's an investment for future time savings later on. And so just like if you're investing your money in the stock market or mutual funds or anything else, you want to take what information you have at your disposal and determine whether or not that's an investment that's going to pay or not. Very interesting. I should just recite the rest of the book to you guys. <laughs> we're, we're listening. Tonight's show will be a dramatic reading. <laughs> well, Chuck, what have been, I don't know, let's say last year or last six months, whatever, some some significant wins that automation has yielded for you or, or you expect it to? So one of the things that I pulled together was putting updates into Facebook. So I put together Facebook pages. I've had Facebook pages actually for a while for devchat.tv and for most of the shows. And I just never posted to them. And so I went in and I spent maybe an hour total getting things worked out and set up on Zapier to get those posted. And all of a sudden I have people engaging with me or engaging with the shows or the brand and saying, hey, why am I not seeing this on the devchat.tv Facebook page? Or, you know, they come in and they start asking questions about some of the shows or I, you know, I get engagement from other places. And it was something that I just never remembered to do. And all of a sudden, you know, that's working out to start having payoffs in other places. Another area that has paid off is I'm using a system called unfollowers.com, uh, which uh, works on Twitter. And basically what I'm doing with that, or one of the things that I'm doing with that, is that it posts a message automatically to anybody who follows me. And it says, hey, are you a fan of the podcasts? And have you heard about the whatever conference is coming up in the remote conferences? And I have gotten sales off of that because I'm letting people know. But the other thing is, is I've automated the creation and started a, several conversations on Twitter in the direct messages system. And so what I get from that is that I can then follow it up with, oh, well, how long have you been listening to Freelancer Show? And which episodes have you liked? And where are you at in your career? And what can I help you with? And do you want to talk for 15 minutes on Skype? And have you heard about some of the other things that I'm working on? And and I get some great stories from people, and I make these personal connections, and it just works out really nicely. One other area that I'll, I'll briefly touch on. So I've mentioned Zapier as a tool, zapier.com. And Zapier connects to all kinds of stuff, which is really cool. Another tool that I'm using, and I've, I've migrated the topics and guest suggestions over to Trello and to Gravity Forms on WordPress. And WordPress actually, so there's a plugin for Gravity Forms that allows you to connect Zapier to it. So if somebody submits a form on the website on devchat.tv, so if you go to freelancershow.com, for example, You'll see links. One is suggest a guest and the other one suggests a topic. And if you click on those, it takes you to a page with a form on it. You fill out the form. Please get this person on the show. I like hearing them talk about this stuff. Here's their email address or Twitter or GitHub or something, you know, somewhere where we can reach out to them. And then the name of the person who requested it. And that goes into Trello. And then recently, not so much on this show, but on Ruby Rogues and JavaScript Jabber in particular, we've had some of the, some of my co-hosts actually suggest like 10 people that they wanted to get on the show. And then Mandy has actually just gone in and reached out to him. And so there was, you know, there was no, oh, Mandy, please go talk to these people. It was just, she just did it, you know? So she proactively took the next step 
and it, it, it went from an automation to a delegation, but the delegation was completely implicit. And so as that kind of worked through, you know, now I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, well, if somebody gets recommended, then what I'd like to do is I'd like to move the person over from suggested to either I know this person and I'd like to invite them to come on the show. And so if I move it over to another column in Trello, I'm going to automate that. So it sends them an email and says, hey, we'd like you to come on the show and talk about this thing. And then basically, you know, pick a time on Calendly. And then once they pick a time on Calendly, it'll trigger another thing that goes through and says, great, we've got you on the calendar for this date. Here's how you connect to the call. Here are the guidelines we have for the call. And then automate another set of emails like a week or two beforehand that says, Hey, you're coming up in a week or two. We're, you know, we're getting ready to talk to you. Here's the topic that we discussed talking about. And can you send us some materials that you or others have put together that you'd like us to review before we talk? And then that starts the email conversation. I'd also like it to create a document in Google Docs where they can add that kind of stuff. We can get in. We can kind of frame a lot of the conversation before we have the show. So we get an outline and then that can actually be put in as show notes or be used as a resource for the show notes and then, you know, email them like three days before and one day before with just a quick reminder. If you haven't added Chuck on Skype yet, please do it. Blah, blah, blah. Right. And so the whole process gets automated. And then at the end of it, it's like, if you have any questions, just reply and let me know. And so they'll all look like they were emailed from me. They'll all get sent out through SendGrid. But that whole process can be worked through and I can write those emails so that they have a personal touch. I can set things up so that if I set up a certain field or have it parse the Trello body in a certain way, then I can put personal notes in there. So let's say that it's Ruby Rogues. We want to get James Edward Gray back on. Granted, this is all hypothetically and it's stuff that I'm working on now. But let's say we want to get James Edward Gray back on. He was on the show for a long time as a regular guest. So, you know, I could set that up and... Um, so the first part is just any personal notes that I want to say. So I'm like, hey, you know, it's been a long time since we talked. You know, I was out in Oklahoma where he lives for a while for a family vacation. And I really liked it there. You know, how how's your wife and kid? You know, all of that stuff. And I can put that in there as kind of an opener formatted nicely. And then it just slides it in there. And then it says, I'm actually emailing you to see if you want to come on the show. Or I'm actually email, you know, this is a follow up to the last email. And, you know, so then it can just flow neatly in from the personal comments to the business of, hey, let's get you on the show. And so I'm working on a lot of these steps so that I can have the personal touch, but I don't have to figure out how to write that email every time. And I don't have to copy and paste it or do any of that other work. I just set it up so that I have a system that sends that out and still gives them that for personal email. And then if they want to reply... The reply to email address is mine. So they just hit reply. They email back. Hey, the family's great. Blah, blah, blah. Thanks for this. I got on Calendly and I signed up. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it sounds like a great example of automating stuff that there's nothing to learn there. There's no mm -hmm. value add from having it being done the hard way manually. And it allows me to personalize it to a certain extent without having to go through the whole process of, oh, what does that email say again or anything like that? It just, you know, and if it's somebody that I don't have a personal relationship with that is an expert that is going to come on the show, then they just get the standard email. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Here's how we're going to get you on the calendar. Again, thanks for coming on. Here's how we're going to communicate about what the show's about. Yeah, that I mean, that sounds... See, but how should I put this? 
it sounds like you really thought through the process. I mean, it's clear you've thought through this process really carefully, and that there is a way for you to sort of go from no process to process and from process to automation. And that's really impressive. Well, the thing uh, is, is that we've and it's been, good for everyone, right? Yeah. Like, it's good for you, and it's good for the guests, and it's good for everyone. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that, I mean, this is something that we've been doing for four or five years, right? Since since Ruby Rogue started five years and two something, two or three months ago. And so it's something we've done over and over and over and over and over again. So we know what the steps are. And so you're saying you've really thought through it. Well, kind of. But we've done it so many times that the process is very well understood. And the other thing is, is that if it's something that you feel like you can get that time savings on and you feel like you understand the process enough to at least partially solve this problem, then partially solve the problem and then tweak it periodically when you think, oh, well, maybe it would work better if we do it that way. It's not a permanent thing, right? If I find something is left out of those instructions, then I'll just add it in. Right. But yeah, you're, you're saying it's well thought out, and I'm telling you we've done it over and over and over again, and we very deeply understand the process here. So, so what should people do? If they're looking to automate, if they're looking to find these processes, I mean, I'm thinking now that one of the things I should do is keep better track of my time and see, so I can build them hourly. Ha ha, Jonathan's not here this week. No, so, so that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep better, better track of my time so that I'll know what I'm spending time on because I can assure you that what I think I spend five or 10 minutes on, I'm actually spending 20 or 30 minutes on. And those things, well, add up even faster. And so those are better candidates. But if I can't even put my finger on what those things are, then it's hard for me to know what to prioritize. I think that's actually a really, really great way place to start because I think you'll be surprised by, huh, I'm doing this like six times a day, you know? And right. you, you may, you may say, okay, so I only need to check my email once a day instead of six times a day. And so you eliminate it instead of automate it. Or you may find, oh, there is this thing that I do six times a day and I could have somebody else do that. Or, I could write a Ruby script in a half hour and that that's as much time as I spend in a day doing it. And so tomorrow I'll just run the script. Right. But yeah, I don't know if you can know that without either already having a process in place for something that you've delegated and then work out a way to automate it or by keeping track of what you're doing. And if you have other people working for you, you should probably have them do that too. Like, is there, is there some part of their job that is boring or mundane or routine, you know, that they can do away with? Because the thing is, is that their time is your money too. And so if you can work things out so that you're saving them time, you're saving them money, you're saving them effort, then they can also put that time toward the things that are important to you and they can make the right things, the priorities for them instead of doing the stuff that they just wind up doing over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Well, observations. I think we kind of operate under this mental model of like that business has two parts. It has the stuff that we like doing, which presumably creates value. And then like the annoying crap we don't like doing, which really is sort of an umbrella that covers a lot of things. Like I used to hate invoicing, for example, and, and that was sort of under that umbrella of annoying crap that I bet you always liked getting paid, though. I did. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, in that simplified model, I think that model's not quite accurate. I think that at least as I've um, matured, I hope matured somewhat in my business, um, I've realized that I actually enjoy, even though I'm a big fan of focus in your marketing and your value proposition, I'm actually a big fan of having some diversity in my day. So this idea that if I could just 
you know, eliminate all that annoying crap. I would have more time to do, you know, the, the really important stuff. It doesn't quite work that way because, I mean, who can just sit down and do a thing for eight hours? I mean, maybe you can when you're kind of in that flow state, but I, I think for most people, that's that's not the norm. And, it, and I don't think it's really necessarily because of the annoying crap. It's just not, I mean, who can be in that flow state for eight hours? You're going to get interruptions no matter what. So that's an observation apropos perhaps of not much. But here, here's the bigger observation is uh, I think the thing that creates value is often not what we think it is. And I think that takes time and sort of introspection and experience to discover what that is. I remember a long time ago hearing that uh, McDonald's Corporation is not a fast food business. It is a real estate business. And I, I always thought that was just kind of one of those urban myth type things. But while we were talking here, I found some articles that actually uh, back that up. <laughs> that They make a lot of their revenue from leasing or renting real estate to their franchisees. So to me, that's an interesting example. And, and I think in your case, Chuck, maybe... You know, maybe it looks like your business is a podcasting business, but it, when I heard you talking, I got the sense that at least a, a part of it is a relationship business. Like, oh, very like much, very much. That's what, like, if you invest your time in building those relationships, that might be one of the top one or two or three things you could do. Whereas if you invest the same amount of time in, I don't know, getting better audio quality, not that there's anything wrong with the audio audio quality, like would that produce the same benefit as the same amount of time? Probably not. So I think part of it is just understanding what really produces value so that you can prioritize not just based on what, how much time things take, but how much value they add to the business. And I don't think there's any like framework for universally knowing what that is across all businesses, it really is just a question of having a bit of experience and trying different things and, and paying attention over time. Yeah, definitely. But then there's even a step further into the rabbit hole, and that is, what am I doing that builds those relationships? You know, and we can get into the 80-20 rule, right? What is the 20% of what I'm doing that accounts for 80% of that relationship growth? And then cut the other 80%, not because it's not valuable, but because it's not as valuable. And so and the, the other stuff becomes the priority that you work on. I know. And it, when I first came across that, I guess, in Tim Ferriss's four-hour workweek book, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense that yes. And actually doing that analysis that's is hard. way harder than anybody makes it seem. And I... Mm. And I think that's, you know, that's part of maturing as a business is, is kind of learning how to do those things. I don't know any way to that some book you can read that teaches you how to do it. I think it's a little bit of learning your market, learning yourself and, and just experience over time. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, if you think critically about it, the other thing is, is that, yeah, and what I mean by think critically about it is, okay, what would I need to know in order to make that decision or make that call, you know, decide what what that is you know can you, say, can you say more about that so for example um i have a whole bunch of information that i have gathered about the downloads you know i i know i know where people are at you know i have statistics on who's downloading the podcast and where they're from uh similar with the website traffic but then it's like okay so who am i reaching and what does that tell me well it tells me where they are but it doesn't tell me who they are and so it's like, okay, well, where do I get that information? And this is something else that I've actually delegated and I'm, I'm just rounding out now. But then it's like, okay, so what information do I need? Well, I want demographic information about the people listening to the shows. 
How old are you? How much money do you make? How big is the company you work for? You know, that kind of thing. Which shows do you listen to? What episodes have you liked? You know, what are your interests? How can we, you know, what topics can we cover that are going to make a difference? And on and on and on, right? And what that does is then I get this picture of the people who are listening to the show. And that helps me, you know, maybe the big thing on my list is getting better sponsors, or maybe the big thing on my list is getting better guests, or maybe the, you know, so it's like, okay, this relationship I have with my audience is best served by getting more relevant sponsors. You know, our, our guests are top notch, or they're high enough notch to where the big payoff is getting sponsors that are more relevant to solve their problems. Or maybe it's the other way around, right? Maybe the big payoff would be getting these high profile guests or growing the audience so we can get the high profile guests or whatever. And so I can look at that demographic data and I can say, okay, well, then I need to be in the places where people of this demographic are. And so I can start finding options and automating my way into that. So maybe it's, okay, well, most of our listeners are between 20 and 30. So, you know, I'm not going to go on Facebook anymore. I'm going to go on Snapchat or maybe I'm going to do this or that. And so I can automate things. I can put it into my schedule. I can take the steps to to start working my way down the line and build those systems so that they pay off. Or maybe I figure out, you know what, Facebook pages aren't the way to go. Or tweeting on Twitter is not the way to engage with these people. And so I can eliminate those and focus on making the RSS feeds better. Or I can start another show that hits that demographic where they live or whatever. But all within the context of stuff that I'm already doing or already good at. And I can double down on those areas that really pay off. And the other, the other part of this, I think, is just gut feel. So as I talk to more people, I talk to podcast listeners, I talk to the people around me, I talk to other podcasters in the space, you know, I kind of get a feeling for where the industry is. And I, I think it's a mistake to discount your gut feel unless you have data that directly contradicts it. And even then you really need to think through it. And so again, you know, so maybe instead of or in addition to collecting all this information, you know, I collect all the information, I digest it, and then I go do a personal retreat like we talked to um, Sherry Walling about uh, a few months ago. And I really think through it and process through it. And I think that's just as important as well, just figuring out and taking the time to get the space to figure out what it means, what it means to me, what it means to the business, and how that gets me to where I want to be. Yeah, having the margin, of, like yeah. the free time to do that kind of deep thinking certainly can be enabled by automating some crappy stuff you don't enjoy doing. <laughs> yep. And maybe it frees up time for me to do that in the morning for an hour, or maybe it frees up time for me to take a weekend off or, you know, whatever works for, for me and same for you, whatever works for you. So maybe an hour in the morning is what you need, or maybe it's not, maybe it is something else. But again, what it does is it allows you to make that time the priority when it needs to be taken. I've been thinking a lot about this lately. <laughs> if you can't yeah, tell. Yeah, no, it's very impressive. That's <laughs> awesome, yeah. I mean, I, I just have lots of ideas now for where I should even start on this path. As I said, like, like put together some of these processes, but I'm sure that once I see the patterns, you know, that's going to be, it's going to be hard to stop me from automating things. Yeah. Watch out. Zapier Pro Plan. <laughs> Here we come. I have one of them. <laughs> me too. I actually signed up for because I needed it for a few things. It's true. Although, like, people told me for a long time that I should use Zapier. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How much could it really do for me? And I tried and said, oh, wow, this is very impressive. So, I mean, I know also there I, I haven't done more than scratch the surface of what I could do. There's a, there's a sort of a whole other domain of automation that we could talk about from the marketing perspective. I almost feel like that's a, like a whole separate show. 
because yeah. you've got to we've got to consider things like why are you automating it and will it be effective at building trust and it's almost more of a blended approach probably deserves a, a more nuanced separate discussion yeah there's a terrific book i'm trying to remember i think it's perry marshall it's 8020 marketing yep that's the one and it is awesome 8020 sales and marketing by perry marshall yep that's definitely another one that i recommend to people just from the standpoint of okay you know, what should I keep doing? What should I quit doing? What's paying off here? And he really does dig into that. Look, you, there are some things in that 80% that are working for you, but there are things in the 20% that if you double down on them are going to work much better for you. And he explains that and explains how to identify some of it. And it's a tremendous book. I'm curious, Chuck, at what you have uh, eliminated. We, we didn't really talk about that, but I think that if you've got, if you can share a few things that would might be interesting. So one of the things that I've eliminated some of, not all of, is a lot of the email stuff. So I let a lot of email stuff slide. If I have time to answer it, then I will, but I time box that. And so I've eliminated checking my email more than a, once or maybe twice a day. Same with Twitter, same with Facebook. You know, I'm working on finding other things I can eliminate. Uh, I have some things that definitely take up time in my life that I am debating whether or not to eliminate things outside of the work, for example. So I've, I've got some extra things that I do for Cub Scouts. And so I'm, you know, I'm considering, okay, you know, is, is this worth it to get some time back? I'm on the school board for my kid's school. So I've thought about eliminating some of that. Just some of the other things that I do just for outreach, you know, I've looked at it and it's like, okay, well, that's not paying off, so I, I quit doing it. But at the same time, I'm also trying to figure out, you know, do I want to add things? So, you know, it seems like people respond well to certain emails that I send out. So I want to do more of that, you know. And so it's like, okay, well, how do I fit these things in and how do I move the other things out? And I find that I've been kind of forced to eliminate things over the years. And I don't have any great examples of that. But I know that there are some things that I just wind up not doing because I don't have time. And I think that comes down to procrastinate. So I just indefinitely procrastinate them. Mm. But it's it's really tricky. And the other thing is, is it's like, it's not just time savings, but, you know, money savings and other areas where it's like, hey, you know, can I get this done for half the price or quarter of the price or, you know, and, and you know, what's the trade off and is it worth it? And, you know, so there are tricky decisions to be made like that, too. But, yeah, I wish I had better examples of, of eliminating stuff. That's one thing I'm not as good at. Yeah, I <laughs> I dream of the day when I can uh, start to eliminate things because I just keep doing more and more. I keep thinking, oh, well, how much time would this really take? And how much would that really take? And then what you said before really resonates with me, which is everything takes some time. And so it's eating away at the time that I could be doing other things. Yeah, and the, the real trick there for me that I found is that I look at my list of things and I, I've actually started making a list for the day and a list for the week. Uh, so this week I had seven things on my whiteboard and, you know, those are the things that I'm getting done this week. And so I make each of those things the priority when I feel like I'm in the right frame of mind and the right, you know, I have the time to do it. And then I just, if I don't get it done, then I just move it a little further down the week, you know, and, and move other stuff off the week so that I can get those things done. And I think by that process, I'm not necessarily deliberately eliminating things. But the other things just aren't even close on the priority list, and so they get 
they, they don't even make it on the list. And so they get eliminated just by virtue of the fact that it's, okay, this morning I'm working on Rails Clips videos. And this afternoon I'm working on the automation for onboarding people. And tomorrow I'm working on sponsorships. And, you know, if, if you're not on one of those, the list for one of those things, then you better be pretty darn important to be able to preempt it as the priority. Right. And so not having made a deliberate decision on very many things to eliminate them, they're just not making it onto the list. And so they're getting procrastinated or they're getting eliminated by default, but they may come up later. I don't know. But that's the other thing I'm finding is that if I put it on the calendar and commit to that commitment, then things tend to work out pretty well. Yeah, I'd, I would agree with that. All right. Well, I think there's more to say here. I'll probably reach out to Rory Vaden and see if we can get him on the show. And we can just talk about the book straight out. But yeah, is there anything else either of you want to add before we go to picks? We didn't really mention, I mean, maybe this is beyond the scope, but should we just mention like some tools people use for automation? Like we mentioned sure. Zapier. And I think all three of us use Drip as well. Yes. Are there any other tools people should be looking at, considering? There are a bunch of tools out there for WordPress if you're using WordPress. There are editorial calendars. You can actually schedule the release of blog posts and podcast episodes in my case. There are plugins for all kinds of other things that allow you to schedule things and make things happen uh, on particular timelines that are related to that. So I'm not, not going to go into all of them. But uh, if you're on WordPress, there's a whole class of things that you can plug in there. Yeah, so I mentioned Gravity Forms, and that plugs into Zapier, and that works out. The other thing is, is if something has an API, you can probably find a system that will connect to it and automate to it. So that's just another thing to keep in mind. I was trying to think about that question, Ruben, from the perspective of you know, what are the automation tools I would take on to a desert island if I was limited to you know two or three, <laughs> right? And had really good connectivity despite being on a desert island. Yes, right. <laughs> Sa satellite with no latency or, yeah. yeah, anyway. That would be a GPS and Skype, right? Here I am, come get me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a helicopter. Um, certainly Drip, probably Calendly. I mean, Calendly for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you just kind of, you know, work in a cave and you talk to people like, twice a week, the value of Calendly is not going to be there for you. But if you're if you're like me and you're, you know, interacting with a lot of people, Calendly for sure. Or like uh, me where you're scheduling five podcast guests potentially every week. Right. Yes. And then I guess probably Zapier just because it's such a robust general purpose automation tool. But uh, yeah, for sure those. Yeah. Uh, one Cal other, Calendly and Drip. One other thing I'll put, it, put out there is Google Docs just because if you can write up a process that somebody else can follow, you're halfway there to automation. And sure, your automation at that point is somebody else is going to do this, but eventually you can figure out how to make the more time-consuming and repeatable parts do themselves in a lot of cases. And so, yeah, just, just a word processor and the ability to share the documents. You can do that over Evernote or whatever as well. And then you can actually go on to Upwork and delegate things off to people that way. And I'm also, one other thing that I find is Dropbox. So that's where I put all of the episodes so Mandy can edit them. That's where I put uh, videos for my video editor guy to edit them for like the remote conferences and stuff. And yeah, a lot of that process is manual. But the fact that all I have to do is drag it over to another folder on my computer. And then once it's synced up, tell Dropbox not to sync it to my computer anymore is it's super easy and super valuable. Any others that you want to cover before we go to picks? That was great. There are also plugins for Gmail. I'll mention that as well that I use. So I use uh, Boomerang and a few others. 
that do stuff for me. Yeah, Streak CRM, which I think has been mentioned on this show yeah. before, is a really nice Gmail plugin for not automating per se, but just kind of tracking and uh, managing information. Yeah, a lot of CRMs actually have built-in automation for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And Drip does as well with the workflows and the tagging and all the stuff there too. So, mm-hmm. All right, well, let's go ahead and get to some picks. Philip, do you have some picks for us? I have a few picks this week. Um, one tool I was saving for the picks is a tool for managing processes, like procedures, standard operating procedures. It's called Process Street, and it's not like Trello, but it, it is like Trello in that it's a SaaS, it's web-based. I've used it before when I was doing more kind of process-oriented work, and it's kind of awesome. <laughs> it lets you create these uh, processes, which are really just like a checklist But if you have a team, you can create sort of template processes that you then, you know, instantiate an instance for someone, assign it to them. And, you know, they go through and check things off. And it's more robust than just a checklist. Like you can include screenshots and descriptions of stuff. So it's really aimed at sort of people managing a team of other people uh, who need to adhere to a set of processes. And it was kind of early days for that app when I first use it, but it's still there. There still appear to be developing it and so forth. And so it's worth a look if you deal with a lot of sort of SOPs and uh, and a team. Second pick, I'll just uh, read that quote from Bill Gates. I think it's pretty good and, and still accurate today. The quote is this, the first rule of any technology used in a business is that automation applied to an efficient operation will magnify the efficiency. The second is that automation applied to an inefficient operation will magnify the inefficiency. So I guess I'm cherry picking here, but to me that points out that you need to uh, to kind of do stuff the hard way manually at first, figure out what you want to automate and how you want to automate it before you start throwing automation at it. Uh, I'll throw in a link also to that Motley Fool article about how McDonald's is, haha, surprise, actually a real estate business, not a hamburger business. And I'll, I'll throw in a link to that 80-20 sales and marketing book. I actually read a summary of it, <laughs> so I haven't read the whole book. But I found uh, on Kindle for like four bucks, you can get a summary of it. So if you're uh, pressed for time because you're, you need to automate some things, but you haven't figured out how to do it yet, you can read the summary instead of the full two, 300-page book. And uh, maybe that'll get you started. So those are my picks for this week. It is so good. Just go read it. Oh, okay. So it's worth the whole thing. Uh, I wouldn't know. I just read the summary, but... <laughs> All right, Ruben, what are your picks? Okay, so I got uh, two picks. One of them is something that I've only started exploring uh, very recently. It's uh, a site and um, and also a podcast from these people. They call themselves the Membership Guys. And they talk about membership websites and how to set them up and how to have people pay for them. So I'm still just, you know, I seem to be using this phrase a lot this uh, this episode. I'm still scratching the surface of it and learning about it. But it seems a very interesting to look at. And they have a bunch of uh, free things people can look at, a Facebook group, and they do webinars. And actually, uh, um, in having uh, signed up for their webinar in the last few days, um, I saw that that was actually highly automated. And it gave me all sorts of ideas, sort of the connection between uh, signing up for that and what we discussed today, how if you can automate webinars, right, then you can have this whole sequence kick in. I'm sure that I will get email on a very regular basis over the next few days suggesting that I buy all sorts of things from them. And I, of course, having total resistance to brainwashing and marketing, will go ahead and buy it anyway. The other thing is, uh, I actually just started a Facebook group in the last day for people interested in doing technical training. 
So I'm starting to, as people, regular listeners know, I do a lot of training and I've started moving into helping others do training as well and learn about it. So the first step in my uh, trying to help people learn both how to improve their teaching and how to learn about the business of training is to start this Facebook group. So I'll put the group in the show notes and I welcome anyone who has either lots of experience or no experience or somewhere in the middle and who wants to share ideas with others doing training as well. It's funny that you mentioned the membership site thing because uh, I had lunch right before this show and I went and uh, had lunch with Blair Williams, who is the developer of the MemberPress plugin for uh, WordPress. And uh, wow, we had we had a great conversation. This is the second time I've had lunch with him. He lives like 20 minutes from me. And uh, yeah, it's it's a terrific plugin. I'm using it on devchat.tv and uh, I'm really, really liking it. So I'm going to pick MemberPress. The other pick that I have, and this is another bit of just stuff that's been working out, is uh, Slack. So I use Slack to automate a lot of stuff. Um, I also use it to get alerts and things like that. The thing that I fixed up today that I figured out was that it has a Google Hangouts plugin. So you you install the plugin on Slack and then you do slash Hangout and it creates the Hangout and then posts the link to the Hangout back to Slack so that other people can join it. And uh, I had that call today with uh, the developer who is helping me do the recording for Rails Clips. And, you know, he's he's actually worked out a whole bunch of automation so that he winds up doing a lot of work and saving me a lot of work in the process so that as I do voiceover, you know, on him typing and things like that, I know what to say and I know where it goes and I can hand all of that off to an editor who can then give me a rough cut and then we can kind of iterate from there on what goes on. And so the the whole process of getting something that's actually workable and viewable and happy is pretty darn slick. So I'm going to pick Slack as another bit of automation. You can do plugins that go the other way. Instead of doing notifications, you send them commands and they set stuff up for you like the, the Hangouts one. So anyway, those are my picks. And just, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. One other thing I do want to shout out is we do have a Facebook page. So if you want to go like the show, just do a search for Freelancer Show. You should be able to find it. I will put a link to it in the show notes. And uh, yeah, we'll wrap up the show and we'll catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.